Tonight on Rotten or Righteous, we ask the question, how much Mary is too much Mary? Welcome to Rotten or Righteous. It's a TV game show that takes place right here in my taxi. So what do you say? Do you want to play? My name's That Guyler, and I am the host of this show. And basically what we do is look at Christian media and then rate it on a scale of 1 to 10. If it's 1 to 5, then it is rotten and you shouldn't watch it. But if it is 6 to 10, then we give it a righteous rating and it's pretty good. You should check it out. With me, as always, is... Shadow Biscayne himself, Scott Judge. Scott, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. Glad to be here. All right. And with us as well is our uh, adopted stepchild, Luke Taylor from Two <laughs> Be Like Christ. Luke, how are you tonight? Hello, sorry. It's good to be in the back of your taxi. I feel like I've been kidnapped, though. Well, I'm not licensed. Before <laughs> we dive in... <laughs> Before we dive into the show today, I'm sure you guys have been keeping up to date with the news, and you've been uh, seeing all the craziness that's around here, and, uh, you know, you can't escape from it. And so, I, I found a story that came up on my newsfeed this week that's just too important to pass, and I really just want to take an opportunity to discuss it with you two to get your feelings, uh, and just try to understand a little bit of this crazy world. This is from Fox News, and the headline reads, South Carolina police seek couple accused of holding Pizza Hut manager at gunpoint, stealing Pepsi. Well, it is Pizza Hut. Well, they don't serve Coke there, so that's exactly what they're going to get. But Yeah, they kind of deserve that because Pepsi's, Pepsi's like wastewater that they just filter and put into bottles. Listen, if I wanted to hear blasphemy, I'd turn on the newest Joel Olstein podcast. But here at Rotten Righteous, we try to tell the truth. Hey, Coke rules. Pepsi That's rules. Whatever. That's just because you I guys are afraid. I didn't see that story. You guys are afraid to think young. Um. <laughs> no, but listen to the story. It gets it, it gets better. Police in Richland County, South Carolina, are asking for the public's help to identify a man and a woman who were caught on video stealing a two-liter bottle of Pepsi from a local pizza hut at gunpoint. The alleged robbery <laughs> unfolded May 29th at a pizza hut in Columbia, WIS News 10 reported. The restaurant manager said the identified man and woman confronted him and claimed their delivery person did not include a bottle of soda with their pizza order. The man was accused of pulling a gun on the manager while the woman stole the two-liter bottle from behind the counter. The pair then took the soda and left. The Richland County Sheriff's like they... Department posted stills of the two suspects taking from surveillance footage on its Twitter account. Uh, what's your initial thoughts on this story, Luke? I feel like they shouldn't even per uh, pursue that case. I mean, they, they wanted their money's worth. That's honorable. They have to pull the gun to get their Pepsi, you know, that's... I feel like that's acceptable. They probably actually thought no police officers were going to pursue them because they they should be busy with all these other things that are going on. But 
apparently Pepsi is really important. But here's here's the the real question that you have. All right, first of all, Pizza Hut's already committing the first crime of robbery. I don't know if you've ordered Pizza Hut lately, but a two liter at Pizza Hut costs over three dollars. You can get that for like a dollar twenty five at Walmart. That extra two twenty five or whatever it was is worthy of pulling out your firearm. I think. Of course, I'm not arguing that. I believe in the Second Amendment. But the other problem I have with this is we're talking about a manager of the Pizza Hut. I've worked food service before. I've never had to work fast food. But I'll tell you what I don't care about enough to put myself in, in harm's way is soda. If you want to take a bottle of pop, just take it. I guarantee you 10 times out of 10, no one is going to stop you. <laughs> this is really just a situation of everyone who's in the wrong place. First of all, they shouldn't have been at Pizza Hut because there's better options out there. Yeah, I mean, Second you of all, that, but you don't know. Them. There's a Pizza that Hut and the second mistake, which was choosing to drink Pepsi in the first place. But you really don't know, though, Luke. Where I live, there's a Pizza Hut in town. That's it. There's two fast well, food restaurants make, in the you entire make town. Your own pizza. Yeah. Okay. Have a two-year-old and tell me how much time you have to make pizza. I don't really eat cardboard, so I don't go to Pizza Hut. Now their stuffed crust is pretty, pretty delicious. I've got to say, I had that last night. But, well, they but, needed something to wash it down, so they. I feel like this is a justified story. This, this is righteous. It's righteous. Really, it really comes down to one essential question: How thirsty do you have to be to steal a two-liter? It's, it's one. It's, it's, it's the worst size of of, of pop. It really is. <laughs> That's poor planning. Because unless you pretty much drink that entire two-liter in one sitting. It's going to be flat in the morning. If they were smart, they would have taken a couple of 20 ounces. That way, you know, you didn't have any rush. They must have been parched. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. If you're reckless enough to pull a gun on a, uh, a Pizza Hut, then you're definitely reckless enough to drink a two-liter in one night. Could you imagine calling 911, though? You're, you, you call 911, <laughs> they're like, uh, yes, sir, what's your emergency? Uh, I'd like to report a, uh, uh, I'm sorry, never mind, I have the wrong number. <laughs> I think I'd be embarrassed to call that in. In my mind, there's like a riot going on two blocks down the street, and somebody else is calling in right after the Pizza Hut robbery, and the police are like, uh, I'm sorry, we'd love to help you with your storefront being looted and burnt down, but we've got a robbery over at the Pizza Hut we got to take care of, only to find I out like it's the two-liter bandits. I feel like the officer was, was, they were probably jumping on that case. They're like, get me out of these riots. I'm going to go to the pizza and solve this two liter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, and that's our new story of the week. Now you know because we know. All right, let's stop wasting time and dive straight into the episode. We open up on 13th century BC in the Sinai Peninsula. Moses is making a bronze serpent while Joshua busts into the tent and reveals that there are hundreds of people dying from poisonous snake bites. Joshua wants to know why Moses is spending time making a metal snake instead of helping people. Moses says that he's doing what God told him to do, but Joshua doesn't understand and thinks Moses misunderstood what God said. Moses then replies, I've learned to do what he says without questioning. Then Moses puts the serpent on a pole. Joshua still doesn't know what's going on and wants Moses to help him understand because none of this makes any sense. 
And then Moses says, it's an act of faith, not reason. Now I want to stop here just for a minute. What, what, what did you guys think of this opening scene? Well, the, Moses was definitely no Charlton Heston. <clears throat> Let's just get that out of the way. He looked like my uncle who like had just gotten off the couch eating potato chips or something. But, um, you know, I mean, he was a, he was a well put together 80 year old man. He was a well put together 80 year old man. I'll give you that. <laughs> he looked like he was, uh, had like just stepped out of his cubicle, like down where I used to work downtown Columbus. And he put on some old timey garments and then, um, pretended he was a blacksmith. What about that line though? That line he gave, um, it's an act of faith, not reason. Now, as somebody who dabbles in apologism, I don't really like this. And this isn't the first time this show's thrown in like a little leap of faith line. This idea that faith has no reason behind it, that you just kind of jump and hope that you land on salvation. No, I felt, I felt the same way. Uh, I don't like when people present faith that way. Because it's not really a biblical perspective of faith, so yeah, I I got the same. I yeah I under, yeah I don't I don't like the the faith being perceived in that way. Uh, it was interesting to me how he went back and and uh, talked about Meribah, talked about the Red Sea, uh, particularly when he was talking about trusting in God and what God has done to uh, done for all of them. Um, but yeah, I think the wording could have been a little different there to take a look at what it was he was doing and how the children were going to be healed. You ready for it? Say it with me, radio audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, moving on. After the, the credits roll, Matthew is getting ready. He reaches for a grape and then decides not to have one. Now, I stopped here because uh, I think what happened was Matthew somehow saw the episode of Eden stomping on those grapes, and he just can't bring himself to pop a grape into his mouth ever again. <laughs> Personally, I understand that. I think I, I, I honestly feel that that's what's happening. See, and I didn't think he was reaching for a grape to eat it. I think he looked down and felt they were out of place or out of order, and he was trying to adjust them to make sure that they were in their place. No, he was reaching for it, and he goes, okay, never mind. I saw Eden stomp on these things. I'm done. I'm done with grapes. I can't even look at grapes now without... Feeling a little, little sick. So Matthew goes outside and he sees his guard, Gaius. And Gaius, well, he was promoted last uh, episode. And so he's not technically Matthew's handler anymore, but he's just kind of with him out of the goodness of his heart. And then Quintus says the line, For a fool, your brain has taken you far. And Matthew responds, I thought so too. What did you guys think about this scene? Anything amazing jump out to you? I, I love I love this scene because Gaius, Gaius has gotten close to Matthew. Gaius looks out for him, wants to see the best for him. And uh, in the line where Matthew said that, he'd asked Gaius, what would happen if you were the only Roman here in Jerusalem? And uh, he goes, I believe I'd change my clothes. <laughs> that's where, that's where <laughs> Matthew... Uh, uh, you know, made the comment about looking out only for yourself. And uh, it was a I good think, scene. It's neat to see Matthew develop in this whole series. I think whether you're the last Roman or not, you should just change your clothes. It's a good practice. It will definitely your hat. Or your shirt. But I bet that I bet the whole area just stank. 
That's that's one thing they don't deal with in time travel movies. You realize that? <laughs> Nobody steps out of a time travel movie and goes, Good night, this place stinks. <laughs> what? I, I, I guess you're right, Zach. <laughs> I'm telling you, the whole place stank. <laughs> Demas' wife comes in, all excited because one of their grandkids was born and they need to make it back to Jerusalem for the breasts. But Nicodemus says no, he still has research to do in Capernaum. And when his wife argues, Nicodemus says, My research does not concern just one Jewish boy, but all of Israel past, present, and future. Now, I really like this line because immediately Luke 14 and verse 26 popped into my head where Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Now, of course, we know that that is loveless. It's not saying that we have to despise our family. But Nicodemus's story is really coming full circle here where he truly is seeing what's important. And it's, that's this miracle worker who he's starting to believe is the Messiah. And, and just, just see, like you were talking about Matthew's story just a minute ago, just see Nicodemus' story come full circle is also really cool. But Nicodemus' wife said that he lost his mind, and she's ready to go home. And then bursts in Quintus, just being a terrible actor. Yes. Quintus is so irritating, and I don't care what scene he's in or who he's with. It's... <laughs> Just annoying. I, I I'll tell you why I think Quintus... I, I'll tell you right now. I'll explain you, to you right now why Quintus is so irritating. His head is so bald and so round that it looks just like a grape. And as we've already acknowledged, we have to reject all grapes after the Eden foot smashing scene. So now he is even more, even more just contentious than before. His head is very shiny, like very shiny. Like they're in a dark room and his head is still shining. It's like they, Charmin shiny. If they ever made a live action version of Humpty Dumpty, they found it. They found Humpty. It's him. I mean, you can't you can't go wrong. Oh, my goodness. And then he just ruins everything. Every time that actor comes onto this show, it immediately just loses a point. Just anytime Quintus is in there, it goes, if it's a potential 10 episode, I'm sorry, it's bumped down to a 9. It's all you can uh, earn today. But do you so, think, I mean, I think they wrote him annoying, like, on purpose. I Don't do, think, but I mean, he's not a good actor. Just his delivery. If, 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 I don't know, who who plays a really good villain? I'm trying to think of some, some of the best villains, like Daniel Day-Lewis in, in There Will Be Blood. The quintessential villain. If they gave these lines to old Daniel Day, or as I like to call him, D.D., or his friends call him Double D, if Daniel Day-Lewis came here and was delivering his lines, he would have done it in a way that gave it gravitas. Yes, he's supposed to be this annoying person, but at the same time, the actor that they got was terrible. Listen, uh, 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 Mr. Jenkins, spend a little less money on making stupid t-shirts that no one wants to buy and spend a little more money trying to find an actor that can actually act for your main protagonist or antagonist. So Quintus comes in 
And he's worried about Jesus' teaching, causing crowds, and delaying Herod's envoy. Which I honestly completely forgot about that plot point until he said it. But I guess it was a pretty important (laughs) note of the last episode. And Nicodemus is trying to cover for Jesus. You can see that he's trying to kind of, you know, shift the blame around. And and when Nicodemus isn't convincing, the only way that, that Quintus really gets under Nicodemus's skin is when Quintus threatens to go to old Shimmy, the local yes. the local rabbi. He's like, listen and Shmuel here. is being the antagonist in this whole thing, I believe. He's Here's your sitting, antagonist. He's sitting there going, hey, listen here, Nicodemus, if you're not going to talk to me, I'm going to go talk to Shimmy Shimmy Cocoa Puff. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get what I want. He seems eager to talk to me. Nicodemus is like, well, slow your roll there, quintessentially bad actor. Uh, the only way you're going to get to know Jesus is to just talk to him directly. And then Quintus orders Nicodemus to tell him where the Pharisees are, where whenever Nicodemus is able to come up with a meeting place for Jesus to privately meet, uh, that, that Nicodemus needs to tell Quintus. And then the following conversation occurs. Nicodemus asks, what troubles you about this man? And Quintus says, preachers have a habit of becoming politicians. They sprout up like weeds and spread. Then Nicodemus snaps back with this awesome, this awesome burn. He's like, some florists spread their seeds when trampled. Who's to say uh, we wouldn't be creating a martyr? And then Quintus is like, I'll take my chances. Great line in the movie. Both those right there in the show. Who's to say you won't be creating a martyr? Really? It was good. I liked it. Really? Really? What do you think, Luke? Really? <laughs> uh, I like. I, I, I like that line. Quintus's line was kind of stupid at the end. I'll take my chances. No. Like, can't yeah. anything better, Sam. No. You're telling me quintessentially <laughs> bad actor had a bad line delivery? That's so shocking. <laughs> Here's another problem that I, I like haven't. I liked his two lines though about the uh, you know his research related to all of Jewish uh, Jewish people, mm-hmm. past, present, and future, and the one about the martyr. I, I thought those were good lines. No, Nicodemus has some some really good lines in this thing. He has one really bad one. We'll get to that, but he has some. Ninety percent of his lines are very good. But but my biggest problem with this is I get that they're trying to to, to show tension. I get that they're trying to to build up the dramatics, but I've been reading through the the gospel accounts. Rome does not seem concerned with Jesus pretty much at all. Well, even Pilate wants to to free him. They they don't seem that concerned with Jesus. So to have this Quintus guy, quintessentially bad actor over there. Come in and be like, I'm going to stop me some Jesus. It just doesn't make sense or sit well with me. I think that you have enough uh, bad guys or enough drama if you would have played up the Shimuel part just a little bit more. Have another scene with Shimmy there between him and and and, and Nicodemus. I don't think Quintus <laughs> is necessary at all. Yeah, he's very high, he's very high level, too. I was reading Mark yesterday, and I thought about that because I just watched this show, and they were like, says that Jesus came back to Capernaum and then his house was surrounded, you know, to the point where there was that scene that we've already covered in this show where it was uh, putting the paralytic down through the roof, but there's like zero mention of the Romans. <clears throat> so yeah, I, I agree. They, they could develop the Shmuel 
Pharisee, Sadducee, because the the Sadducees at this point like don't exist, right? Right. Well, they they didn't really exist until the Pharisees brought them into the fold, though. Into hey, look, we've mm-hmm. got to work together. Get this Jesus guy taken care of. But never yeah. once. I mean, even Nicodemus made it a good point uh, a couple episodes ago, or it might have been in the the creepy John episode, where uh, where he he oh. says. He says that we don't like to uh, delegate, or, or we don't like to use Rome to settle our problems. It sets a bad precedent. Yeah. But, and that's the whole point. If the Jews were having this big of a problem with Jesus, they would have dealt with it. That's what the Bible tells us. To I just, it, and like I said, if Quintus was a good actor, then yeah, let's keep him in there. You know, I'd give you liberties. But he's just, he's, he's just, he's... <laughs> He's awful. He's awful. I would rather drink foot grape juice than to have to spend five minutes with Quintus. That's how much I dislike him. Challenge (laughs) accepted. Scott can probably make you some foot grape juice. Then after Quintus leaves, Jesus and the Chosen are preparing camp. Some are worried that Jesus was going to be hunted for preaching on the forgiveness of sins, and that's why Jesus says they're not going to stay in Capernaum for long. They're about ready to travel. And then Thad, can we just take a moment and talk about Jesus calling Thaddeus Thad? <laughs> did you not like that either? <sighs> I tell you, you did not. I, I don't know. I just, I'm sure that they had shortened versions of names. But I just, when Jesus said Thad... <laughs> I don't know why it just <laughs> I, it, that didn't that, bother me I'll that's just, just, that out, that's but... just not my Jesus my Jesus wouldn't if say Jesus that called, if Jesus called you Zach instead of Zachary would you be offended? no because my so name isn't but my name isn't Thad your name's not Zach either it's Zachary listen my name is what is not important here my, my, the point is <laughs> Thad conjures up images of like frat guys in my mind jesus said they're gonna be traveling and then jesus tells him uh tells old thad uh to cut some firewood and thad says how much firewood should i make and he goes five days worth should be good and then thad says uh uh he goes but you said we're gonna be leaving soon and i kind of like this scene where he's like yeah but we'll cut some more for the next person that's coming through yeah for the next weary traveler that, 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 it gives you a little insight into Jesus's, I think, just compassion on those that it's not even met yet. Well, that and, you know, Jesus always, or Jesus teaches uh, whoever asks of your cloak, give them your, your shirt also, or whoever asks of your robe, give them your cloak also, or whatever. And it, it, it just, mm-hmm. it's kind of cool to see Jesus practicing what he preaches in little ways. And, and the yeah. firewood thing was just a little way to kind of show that. And then Mary... <laughs> Mary comes up and uh, apologizes for getting the paralytic close to Jesus and uh, for, for his friends interrupting Jesus. And Jesus is like, nah, don't worry, Mary. It's all good. Don't don't worry about that. They would have gotten to me without your help. And then, and then Mary says that uh, a Pharisee named Nicodemus asked for a private meeting. And then Miss... Magdalene vouches for him 
for being earnest, and that Nicodemus is truly interested in learning the truth. It's not a trap for Jesus. And then Jesus is like, listen, Mary, you're my uh, most essential apostle that's not an apostle. You are, you know, you're like the number two here. Forget about Simon. It's you. It's the Mary show. Uh, if you trust this guy, I'm going to trust him. Go and, and set up the meeting. And Jesus then says he needs to go off by himself to be alone and pray, which is another thing I really like. It's not, it's not shoving it in your face, but it is showing just this aspect of Jesus during important moments in his life. He's going to go and pray to God, which is absolutely biblical. He's, he was always praying. Always praying. Jesus, when Mary said, are you sorry? He said, are you sorry that a paralytic for the first time in his life has been able to spend the day on his feet? And I thought that was uh, neat to see that out of Jesus trying to explain it's okay. Look, the good that came out of that, uh, not to miss uh, uh, the good things that, that was done yesterday. And, and we know the good things that will come. You see, I, I liked that scene, but I would have liked it better if Jesus turned around and said, you know what, Mary, you're right. You really screwed up. I'm going to need you to leave and not come back until after I die. Because that's when your story actually takes place. Just go ahead and leave. Uh, you can help with my body. Go ahead and get out of here, please. Do you suppose they misread their lines, Zach? I think so. I think Jenkins wanted that, but Mary's pulled out a knife again from the wedding episode. She goes, listen here, Jenkins. You know what? I've, Actually, I've seen things that'll turn your blood into ice, and I will stab you if you make me go away to after Jesus dies. That scene was actually going well, and then two extras showed up with a gun and a two-liter of Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> and then it just got all confusing. But before before Jesus goes by himself to pray, uh, Jesus tells Mary that they're going to go to a dinner party on the rich side of town. And Mary, being the most important apostle in the whole show, goes to tell the others Jesus' plans. Not liking that chain of command, are you? Are you? No, I'm not. Uh, okay, so don't I'm paint not. me. Not stop here, mister. No, because, you know, we've talked about this before. The biblical account does not show Mary being around on a constant basis. Every mention is, of her takes place after the crucifixion. This is the Jenkins version. The new Jenkins. NJV. NJV. The new Jenkins version. We live in a culture now that is so focused on making sure that we are not called racist, that we're not called sexist, misogynistic, that we're not labeled these bad things, that we're going to go back and change history in order to fit in with the PC culture of the day. That is almost exactly opposite of what the Bible is. Jesus offended people. Not because what he said was wrong, but because what he said didn't fit the status quo. And the longer this show goes on, the more I see it morphing into, well, we gotta have we gotta have Mary here because without her, people are gonna say the show's sexist because there's no women in it. Well, there's no women in the actual story, the source material, the history. Are you gonna go mm -hmm. back and 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 write a story about Alexander the Great or Genghis Khan and then make him a woman just because there was no women in that particular point in history? It's it's ridiculous. Our tens of listeners have just gone down to our ones of listeners. I'm, <laughs> I'm, 
I'm going to play devil's advocate here because Mary's my favorite character, you know, Mary and Quintus. So Jenkins, it good on him for not filling in Mary in spots where the biblical story will not allow her to be, right? So he doesn't he doesn't put her in situations where we know that it that she doesn't belong. She is only in places where like he has some liberty in the text to add another character into the mix. Right. So I feel like he deserves some credit for that. Like he doesn't make Genghis Khan into a woman, right? He doesn't make Simon into a woman or he doesn't make uh, another character or give the, give the lines of the biblical story that belong to a man to a woman. He keeps it. He keeps the lines of the Bible accurate, right? And the characters accurate, but then he, fills in women in scenes where he has some liberty. So like, I agree. I agree. That's probably why he's doing it and why women fill all those roles and why there was a woman who brought the paralytic, you know, who was the one who leads the paralytic. And I don't have a problem with the woman being a paralytic. I don't even have a problem with Mary hanging around. My point is, is that any chance he gets, he is pushing Mary from what is historically a background character in the narrative of Jesus to being front and center. Any <laughs> time he needs an apostle to give Jesus advice, needs an apostle to give their two cents, needs an apostle to introduce Nicodemus, there's Mary. I don't have a problem with her popping up every once in a while, but she is stealing the spotlight from what should be Simon's show. How about that, Mr. <laughs> Devil's Advocate? Awfully silent from your end. <laughs> I mean, so I don't I don't disagree. Let me ask you this question. Why is Simon gonna be in the inner circle? Eventually we're gonna get to that point where Jesus chooses his inner three. All Simon's done right now was state that he is uncomfortable that Jesus is doing things in public. He hasn't brought him Nicodemus. He hasn't brought him uh, uh, people to heal. He hasn't done anything. That's all been Mary. So by the end of it, why is Jesus going to choose Simon, Andrew, and John to be his inner three when the person that's been interacting with Jesus the most has been Mary? <laughs> Maybe he should have just chosen Mary. Perfect. There we go. It was actually an inner, or, or an, an inner quartet. How do you know... Mary wasn't in the inner circle, but she's just not mentioned because she's a woman. But that's the thing. I don't have to prove it because my logic, if we're just going to follow this debate all the way to the end, the, the, the burden of proof doesn't fall on to me. The burden of proof falls onto Jenkins, who needs to prove to me evidence that Mary was here. I have evidence that Simon was there. I have evidence that Andrew and the rest of the apostles were there. I don't have evidence of Mary. Burden of proof does not fall on me. It falls on Jenkins. How do you prove that Mary was there the entire time? I agree. And I'm he, not he her in a part where she probably shouldn't be. I am thankful that he doesn't make her into he doesn't transform a, a male biblical character into a woman yeah. <laughs> to uh, just like be obnoxious about it. Right. Well, and well, I, I think I, too again, I don't have a problem with women given roles that they can fill. But with him using Mary so much, he could have used... He said from the beginning he wants to paint a picture of these 12 men that followed Jesus. We haven't met Judas yet. We haven't even met all the 12 apostles, and we're one episode away from the season finale. 
why can't we use this to, to flesh some some of the other people that we know were there out. It's not a sexism thing. It's a historical, I want the narrative. I want the, him to accomplish his own goals type of thing. Yeah, and Zach, yeah. If, if you remember, this was our concern back even in the very beginning. I think when we were doing the trailers and looking at those and then the first episode, where will this head with Mary? Uh, we talked about the concern of how that character would be built up. And I agree with you with some of these other disciples we've we've not met uh maybe we've seen on the screen but we've not met we don't know who they are so how will they develop and the accuracy of the picture is we know that they were there with him um but but it'll be interesting to me to see how mary will continue to be developed i can't imagine that the next the next episode and then in the second season that there will be a decrease. Uh, I don't know, but I can't imagine there will be a decrease in her time with Jesus and the other apostles. Simon, Jesus, and Eden are preparing dinner, and Simon expresses his worry about Jesus meeting with Nicodemus. He says it's probably a trap. Then Jesus is like, nah, don't worry about it. My most important follower, Mary, vouched for him. <laughs> Seal of approval. Lilith. It's got the Lilith seal of approval. And then Andrew comes in with a huge robe. <laughs> it's a little known fact that that actually was one of Andre the Giant's uh, ring entrance robes. I mean, <laughs> look, it, it just looks terrible. It looks like something out of Star Wars. And then when yeah, it he does. Puts, oh, it does, when he, yeah. When he puts the hood up, he turns Jesus into the Holy Emperor Palpatine. Like, it just was not... <laughs> That's exactly who I thought of, too, was Palpatine when he put it on. And even even the actor that plays Jesus knew it. I don't think that was a written line. I think the actor realized how ridiculous it looked, and he just goes, hey, look, y'all could get in here with me. This is, this is stupid. <laughs> Can we make my robe out of something other than a California king bedsheet, please? And then uh, in the background, we hear Simon's mother-in-law coughing, and Simon's like, look, can you muzzle your mom? Like, <laughs> I don't need Jesus worrying about your mom coughing. He okay? shouldn't have married a healer. Seriously, but, but that's another <laughs> question I have. Why is, is Peter's mother-in-law still sick? Yeah, good question. I mean, one of the Wait, first things she... Jesus oh, does when he gets to Capernaum was heal Peter's mother-in-law. And then we have the, the, the pinnacle of this episode. Nicodemus shows up and is sent to Jesus on the roof. And I don't really have a lot to say about the conversation because it's pretty close to the biblical account. They do a pretty good job with this. Uh, and Jesus even compares his work to Moses lifting up the serpent, tying in the opening scene of whoever looks on the serpent uh, will be healed. They don't shy away from the fact that Jesus says in order to enter the kingdom, you have to be born of water and spirit. And I've got to give Nicodemus props in this scene. I really do. We may, we spend a lot of time making fun of the actor because he says a lot of things really weird, like fish and someone else. And he even, he even delivers lines in there where I'm like, oh, he's going to do it. He's going to do one of his weird little upwards inflection questions. But he never does. <laughs> nope. He, he has he, the pauses in some of the in some of the sentences, but he doesn't have the question mark ending at the end of them. And and I don't mind the pauses. The pauses weren't the mm -hmm. problem. The problem was that weird roller coaster hill at the end of his sentences. If I'm sitting there going, 
Luke, our debate about women a few seconds ago, I don't agree with your conclusion? See, that's weird. <laughs> I, would, would, I would buy into your position if you spoke more like that, though. I'll take what you say into consideration? <laughs> Hey, in the very beginning of that scene, I really like what Jesus said about the lights that he talked to the house, the keeper of the house about getting more lights out there. And it said it would, it would draw attention. And Jesus said, our eyes are always drawn to light. And mm -hmm. it, that was great with Jesus because you take a look at Nicodemus. What's he drawn to the light, the light of Jesus. I, I really like that in the very beginning as that conversation started. Yeah, that's true. And then at absolutely. the end of this scene, Absolutely. But at the end of this scene, Jenkins throws another uh, curveball where Jesus turns to Nicodemus. He's like, hey, I got a Wait, spot. You talked about Quintus's head for like 30 minutes. And now on Nicodemus's conversation with Jesus, you did it in like 30 seconds. Listen, Nicodemus's head's adorable. Okay. He's got like the perfect little old man head. Don't don't knock when it. Jesus rubs his head. That was a little weird. You know what? That's but. in my notes here. <laughs> that is. But let's let's hold off on that in just a second. <laughs> but but uh, Nicodemus Jesus is like, hey, why don't you join me? And Nicodemus is like, I have to give up so much. And that's true. He would. He's he's like a pretty big higher up. He's an insanhedrin and whatnot. But why is this scene here? I went back and read John 3. There's no point that, that Jesus asked Nicodemus to join him. No. Matter of fact, I don't think Jesus would ask Nicodemus to join him because Nicodemus' influence would be more useful back in Jerusalem with the Sanhedrin than it would be with him following Jesus around. It's the KJV liver, or the, the, yeah, the, oh, hold up, what are we calling it? NJV. NJV. It's the NJVL. And that is, okay. the L is for liberty. Well, I'm just saying, by this time next season, whenever season two's finally out, all the apostles are literally going to be in the background, and it's just going to be Mary and Nicodemus dealing with Jesus. <laughs> That's all it's going to be. <laughs> it's going to be a horrible show. <laughs> Nicodemus, again, really acts this scene well. You can tell that his emotions are overflowing when he realizes that Jesus is Jesus. I will say that we have a nice piece of uh, of uh, uh, Parmesan cheese right here on this scene because Nicodemus goes, clearly I'm standing on holy ground, or at least holy roof. Holy roof. <laughs> <laughs> and I am, proud, I am proud that Jenkins didn't put in a, a, a snare drum part right there because he really could have just went, but um, don't you love the the just the, the the actor that plays Jesus, the humanity uh, in in his expressions and his acting, the way he smiles. Yes, uh, when he's hearing these things, I, I, I know I've said it a ton of times, but I keep coming back to it. It's so moving. It's just it's captivating to watch him. Okay. Yeah, I feel like um, this show has actually been helpful to me. Um, just in the sense of seeing Jesus that way, yeah. Because I know that he's like, yeah. he's described that way as loving, and but a lot of times I think we talked about this already before. But 
I see Jesus as like walking around only, you know, in this very stoic way, only saying like these very righteous lines. And here's Jesus, well, you know, he's just a, a human being and very, you know, kind and loving. And um, he's just different than, I guess, the way mm-hmm. I see him a lot of times when I read the scriptures. Well, I'm glad you brought on, that point uh, out. I've always read that as, as kind of like, I don't want to say that they were, that Jesus was like attacking Nicodemus, but the way I've always read that chapter was a lot more harsher than yeah, I agree. than the way it came across in the show, and it didn't make sense for Jesus to be like super harsh with Nicodemus right there. And so, if anything, I will give credit to this show for making me see Jesus probably uh, more accurately with his humanity and love and kindness towards people. Yes. And for that reason alone, I will recommend people watching the show. And so. Make fun of it all you want on the stupid parts, but Jesus' humanity shines throughout this entire series. Mm-hmm. And then Nicodemus does something weird. He bows down and kisses Jesus' hand. And I really like Jesus' line right there, or delivery, and I don't know if it was intentional or I'm just seeing it. When Nicodemus bows down and kisses his hand, Jesus immediately goes, What are you doing? Jesus gives him a hug. And uh, for like a second... Jesus is stroking the back of Nicodemus's head. Yep. Like he's he's full on just I don't mind Jesus giving people hugs. I like hugs. They're they're all cool. But that was a little weird. The 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 choice to to rub his fingers, run his fingers through Nicodemus's very limited hair was an odd one. Again, I, I think that just shows the. Uh, it, it was yes, it was weird, but to me, I just saw the. <laughs> no, justify this for us, Scott. Jesus. No, no, just, I, justify him I petting saw, his head. I saw. I saw have you never petted somebody's head when you've hugged them? No. Touch the back of their head. There. Uh, I, I guess. I guess I probably have. So it's like the I, actor taking a handbook out of like Joe Biden's <laughs> creepiness book. I mean, it was it was weird. Well, listen, I don't sniff him when I hug him. Uh, so that's different. There is one person who I've ever put my hand on the back of their head, and that was my wife when she was sad. I gave her a hug and put my hand on her head. Or my son. I've done that to my son when he was an infant, and he couldn't support his head. But no, yeah, I've never went, went went up to an elderly man in church, gave him a hug, and just like, just let me hold you and stroke your head just for a minute. It's all good. But I, ha- I have like a, a moment of... Uh... Uh, great sorrow when somebody was in mourning. Uh, I, I've actually done that, and to me, it was it was it was. I, I saw comfort as I looked at but that. I'm not scene. worried about what they felt or what you felt in that moment. I'm worried about what they felt. Is it Nicodemus or the other the other people? I, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. They didn't punch me. They didn't. Hey, how didn't did pull that a gun and steal my Pepsi? Which, it was weird. I thought it was okay. You know, I think I think maybe I've done that before. In like a <laughs> so Zach, I think you're actually the one who's like human in this scene. That you just you don't relate to Jesus. Listen, I mean, our loyal listen, our loyal tens of listeners. Please answer this question. I know you don't really like participating or anything, but if you could send in an email at rottenrighteous at gmail dot com or message us in Facebook, how would you feel if your preacher gave you a hug? And they just randomly stroke the back of your head. Just, just, just let us know, please. I, I, I need to know if I'm in the minority here because I can't believe that I am. Okay, so the final scene. 
Matthew is collecting taxes, uh, and Jesus comes walking through the crowd and asks Matthew to join him. Finally, Jesus finally asks somebody to join him who the Bible says that Jesus asked somebody to join. And, and this plays out just like the call of Matthew plays out, except for this little added scene. But even this little added scene uh, between Simon and Jesus makes sense uh, story-wise. I'm not upset with this. Simon's like, you don't know this guy. Why are you calling him? Uh, I, I don't get it. And then Jesus says, well, you didn't get it when I chose you either. You know, you, you thought you were unworthy. And then Simon goes, but this is different. I'm not a tax collector. And if Jesus would have just smiled at him or nodded at him, I wouldn't have had anything else to say. But Jesus turns to him and goes, get used to different. I'm 100% sure that that line was put in there to sell t-shirts. Aha! Probably. Did they have that on their t-shirts? Oh, yeah. You can go on yes. to, to uh, VidAngel or whatever, the production company of this right now, and get yourself a get used to different t-shirt. I'm about to do that. Good. That line sold me. If only Mary had delivered it, they probably would have sold more t-shirts. Well, I think that she would have, but she was in the back sharpening her, her switchblade on a whetstone, and so she was distracted. <laughs> I'm I'm sending a memo to VidAngel to see if they can't get a shirt made that says uh, Grape Stomping, Hair Stroking Ninja. But Matthew is, uh, he made up his mind. Jesus like, follow me. Matthew's like, sweet and going to. And uh, I, I like this because Gaius, his handler, is like, he's not going to follow you. Get out of here, street preacher. And uh, but, but then he hears the door unlock, and he tries to stop Matthew. He's like, you're going to throw away everything. And he really was. Unlike, you know, James, John, Simon, and, and Andrew, they all could go back to fishing. They all did go back to fishing when they thought that this whole adventure mm -hmm. was over. Matthew wouldn't be able to go back to Rome and be like, hey guys, sorry about that. He was throwing everything away, his entire livelihood. So that, that scene was awesome. And then Matthew joins Jesus, and they start walking away to a celebration. Then there was that cute little foreshadowing where Matthew has his tablet to take notes with. It might be he writes a gospel or something, guys! How special. <laughs> and then Mary, being the most important of all the apostles, tells Matthew that they're going to a dinner party. And Matthew's like, I'm not welcome at a dinner party. And then Jesus goes, you're going to be welcome at this one because it's at your house. What? I don't know if you notice when Matthew, uh, you know how he can never look anybody in the eye, right? He's always like looking around, looking at the ground. Then when Gaius grabs him and says, where are you going? He looks Gaius mm -hmm. in the eye and like keeps like consistent eye contact with him. And he says, you know, I'm going with, yeah, I'm going with Jesus. I can't remember the exact line, but yeah. that's like the first time I'd ever seen Matthew make like eye contact for like a consistent period right. of time. Like he actually knew for the first time what he was doing and what he wanted. And that is the end of the episode. Now it is time to take just a, a little bit of walk a little baby walk down the ridiculous in a new favorite segment of ours called What You Talk About Pure Flicks? <laughs> it is a game where we are given a title of a movie and it is our job to guess the plot line of that movie. And this week we're going to do something a little bit different where... Um, I'm not going to be the one giving the movies, but I'm actually playing against my nemesis, Luke. And uh, 
and Scott has Scott has prepared a list of movie titles and synopsises, and he will be our judge, jury, and executioner for today's game. So, Scott, it's your show. All Go right. Ahead and start. What you talking about, Pure Flix? Zach, we're going to let you go first. And I did something a little different, guys. I wanted to go back a little further than just the 2000s to see what type of Christian-related media is there out there. And I got three films. I've actually got eight in total. We're not going to do all eight, but I'm going to give you one from 1959. We'll see how it goes. And then that's when you graduated. That's when you graduated high school, right? High school, yes, 1959. I was born in 41, and um, which I actually have a movie from 41 too. So, but in 1959, there was a movie that was called The Big Fisherman. And Zach, since this is your first time to do this, uh, we're going to let you have the honor of going first. The Big Fisherman. Oh yeah, The Big Fisherman. We watched that on my honeymoon. Uh, the Big Fisherman. <laughs> Big Fisherman is a uh, movie, obviously, uh, and it, it it stars a a man who who uh, he's a storyteller, and his whole life he he talks about wanting to catch this big fish, and it's crazy because he goes uh, he leaves his town where he's a local hero and goes out in the world to try to find himself, and he. He comes across this perfect little paradise, but they say that they that he arro- arrived there uh, too early, and so he has to go on and he fights in a war and meets Siamese twins and works in a in, in a circus for a little while, and that's where he meets the love <laughs> of his life, and uh, he finds out his wife's favorite flower and buys all of the flowers he can find and and beats up his his, his this love of his wife's fiance that he's engaged to. And eventually they, they marry each other. Her name was Sandra Templeton. And uh, uh, they, they get married. But eventually he dies of cancer. But at the end, his son <laughs> finds out that his dad uh, uh, finally caught his big fish through his stories and everyone that loved him. Wow. That's a long movie. That's that's an incredible movie. I've got to ask, what happened to the Siamese twins? Uh, they were there at the funeral. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've got to be honest with you. That was pretty much uh, uh, the plot of Tim Burton's Big Fish. So. Big fish. <laughs> 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 All right, Luke, the Big Fisherman. Oh, so you know Adam Driver, who plays in Star Wars. What's his character's name? Um. I almost said Keanu Reeves. That's not the character. Yeah, it's um, Keanu Reeves. Um, <laughs> the Sith Adam, Lord. What is the Sith? Who's, who's the Sith Lords? Keanu What's his Reeves. Name? No. There's like Darth Maul, Darth Sidious, Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren. Yeah. So that guy, Adam Driver, he has this pug that he got from the animal shelter, and um, it was going to be put down, and. Uh, he saved its life, you know, and, but it's really like it poops all over his his um, carpet all the time and stuff. And so being a Sith Lord, like he just doesn't have time to mess with this. And so he decides that he, he's going to call his friend Keanu and he comes over and he can't seem to solve the problem anyway. So he, or, or he can't solve it either. So this pug is just like 
completely delinquent and the powers of Keanu and Adam driver cannot solve the problem. So he is, uh, he, he, he goes to the pond and he throws his pug in the water and he gets eaten by this big fish. And that's, that's the end. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The big fisherman, the 1959 movie is about Simon Peter. And the movie simply traces Peter from fisherman to Christ, where he becomes a fisher of men. Now, man, these were both really good. I mean, we have Siamese twins. We have Sith Lords pooping pugs and fishing. Uh, we've got the, the love of his life, uh, the big fish. I want to give both of you a point. Okay. I mean, I would disagree that my, my guy did go on a journey. Um, that's, that's true. He did. But my, mine had a fish in it, like a real fish that ate the pug, a big fish. Well, at the end of big fish, the guy turns into a big fish. There, there was pooping involved though. So I mean, that's... where are you get? Did Kylo Ren poop out a pug? I don't <laughs> no, remember that. He got it from that. an animal shelter. He, he, got got from from an animal animal shelter. he didn't poop out a pug, Scott. The dog pooped everywhere. No, the dog pooped everywhere, and the Sith Lord wasn't able to take care of it. I know, but you think that the that the Sith Lord pooped out a dog? No. (laughs) Are you even listening to the show? (laughs) I try not to. All right. We are tied 1-1, gentlemen. And our next movie is Not Today. And, Zach, you went first the last time. So, Luke, it will be your turn to go first. Not Today. Not Today. Not Today stars Mary Magdalene. (laughs) And... (laughs) It's the true story of the the gospel of Mary, and it's how Simon's always trying to steal her thunder. And so Simon's always like, "Well, let me be, uh, let me be the guy who says this line." And she's like, "Not today." And Jenkins got a hold of this document of the gospel of Mary, and that's actually what his uh, his show is based on the uh, this more accurate gospel. And so they basically spend all of this time and Mary goes around telling Simon, it's not his, it's not, it's not today that you're going to steal my thunder. And uh, then the, the sons of thunder get their name because they end up killing Mary and take all of her thunder. Wow. Okay. Brother Zach, not today. Uh, not today is actually a great film. We watched it uh, after my senior prom. And uh, it's about it's about this this couple. They 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 were newlyweds and they were deep in love and and then you know time and kids and everything. And they kind of grow just a little bit apart. They still love each other, but they're 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 getting more and more distant. And the wife comes to the husband and asks, "Do you love me?" And the husband goes, "Not today." <laughs> You're still going. It still goes. Okay. (laughs) And then she goes, Well, are you out of love with me? And he goes, You'll know when I'm not in love with you. 
And so it just kind of goes on like that for a while. Every once in a while, every couple weeks, she'll ask her husband, Hey, do you still love me? And the husband will always respond, Not today. A few weeks, you still love me. Not today. And this goes on until the guy dies. And then at the funeral, there's a letter that is found in his desk. And the wife opens it up. And on the envelope it reads, Do I love you? And she opens it up. And inside, it's a little letter. And she asks out into the ether, Honey, do you still love me? And on that piece of paper was written the words, Not today. <laughs> and it's a horrible movie. <laughs> horrible. Okay, Not Today. It is a 2013 drama. While on vacation with friends in Hyderabad, India, Caden Wells, a privileged young man with a world at his disposal, takes an unexpected turn in life after initially refusing to help a starving man and his daughter. Whew, man, this is a tough one. I mean, we've got we've got Mary Mag the Gospel of Mary Magdalene <laughs> and a pompous, arrogant husband. <laughs> Which do we do? Okay. Um to run along the theme of what today's episode has turned into, Zach, we will give you the point. Mm, Not okay. Today. I'm giving it to Luke. <laughs> 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 All right. Our, our next movie is from 2012. It is also a drama, and it is called Meant to Be. Meant to Be. And, Zach, you are up. Meant to be. That's a good movie. I, I saw this when my wife was giving birth in the hospital. Um, meant to be is about this young man who, even though he's very smart and intelligent, he goes through his life with people avoiding him. And he can't figure out why. He's not socially awkward. He doesn't say inappropriate things. But nobody will talk to him. And then one day, he reaches into his pocket and and he finds Are this... Are you reading us a memoir? No, he finds this little little uh, metal container and he shakes it and rattles something inside of it. And he opens it up and there's this little circle. He puts it in his mouth and it just explodes in cinnamon flavor. And then all of a sudden, he's going to work and people want to talk to him. People want to be his friend. And it turns out that this young man was just suffering from a terrible, terrible case of halitosis. And what he found in his pocket was an Altoid. And he looked down and goes, an Altoid. This was meant to be. Mm. Really completely stole my thunder on that. I had like a great storyline going into my head about mints and now it's gone. Is that why you didn't laugh at that clearly funny story? You could have at least given me like, a pity chuckle. A Quintus I mean, laugh. What, ha 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> the cinnamon altoid meant to be. Okay, Luke, it's your turn. <laughs> uh, meant to be. Um, there was a grandpa. He was a veteran. <laughs> 
of, of World War II. <laughs> he found out his granddaughter was pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> no, not that same, not that same grandma. So oh. this was this was a grandpa. He was a veteran of World War II. He fought on the side of the Union against the Japanese, who were trying to invade the the uh, Confederate Army down in the south of the United States. And he, uh, during the Korean War, this was this was after after World War II, but uh, before World War II, or sorry, before <laughs> after World War II, but before the Korean War, because you know there's a couple years in between there. So anyway, um, he decided that he was going to go to win the war. They needed to find the mash people, but he couldn't find them because they were out in the jungle. And uh, so he decided the only thing I can do is to drop the atom bomb on the, the Confederacy. And uh, that's what he did. And then slavery was abolished. That was <laughs> that was meant to be. That's how the world came to be what it is. So it's really it's really more of a documentary than it is a uh, you know a, a work of fiction. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first from Otis Campbell. <laughs> meant to be, a young man searches for his mother and discovers God's plan for him. <laughs> Point goes to Zach because he's got halitosis. <laughs> we are 2-2. Two, 2-2. Two. Two, two. Okay. The next and the last. I'm ready the for winner, the tiebreaker. The winner of this point wins the match. The movie is from 1995, and it is called Slave of Dreams. This one is about um, not Joseph, but his brother who gets thrown into slavery. And um, he is. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Uh, uh... <laughs> Struggling here. My, my plot line dissolved after I realized that I had the wrong movie. This slave is in prison, and lo and behold, there's an appearance of an angel that looks very similar to Lilith. And <laughs> she comes down, and she opens the doors of the prison, and he gets to go free. And so he's not in slavery anymore, and his dreams came true. And um, that's that's the end. That's an incredible story. <laughs> Zach, Zach, you can't win. You can't win now. Slave of Dreams. Uh, yeah, this is a f fantastic movie. I, I saw this one um, when I was in the hospital getting a hangnail removed. Um, it's about, well, it's about this this young Jewish boy who was uh, taken off to Assyria, taken captive in Assyria, and um, he was turned into a eunuch. Uh, that's not really that important. It's just part of the story. Him and his friends, Shadrach, uh, Meshach, and Abednego. And, uh, uh, it's not that important. It was important for him. Yeah, I mean, of, of course it was. He was actually turned into a castrato, 
which if you don't know, that's a, a young boy who is castrated at a young age for his voice change so he can sing the high notes because women at that time weren't allowed to sing in the operas. And uh, that's true from the Middle Ages. Mankind is just filled with absolute cruelty towards people, and it's disgusting. But anyways, he, uh, he you know, he, he was a, a servant to, to the king. Um, he, he served him well, but, but he believed in God. And, um, well, this one time, uh, there was an edict that went out and said, Hey, y- y- y'all, um, stop, stop, y'all <laughs> stop worshiping God. Uh, you need to start worshiping the King. And, and, and our young Castrato said, uh, no, nah, I ain't going to do that. I'm going to keep worshiping. And then he was thrown into a pit of cougars, which, uh, not the cats, but the attractive older ladies. And uh, they all went to sleep, and they didn't hurt him. And the next morning, he was taken up out of the cougar pit, and uh, the king's like, hey, I had this dream about this statue. And the young man told him about the statue, and he was shackled to the king's throne from that point until the day of his death, and just was there to interpret dreams. Slave of dreams, and Zach, you get the point, okay? Zach gets the point. Luke, the reason you don't get the point is because you said, and I quote, it's not a story of Joseph, (laughs) okay? (laughs) Slave of dreams is a 1995 story of Joseph. (laughs) So, today's winner... Is Mr. Castrato himself? <laughs> Grape stomping, hair stroking, Zach Geiler. I think that's the episode title, Mr. Castrato himself. <laughs> Mr. Castrato. <laughs> oh, well good night. Well done, my, uh... So now let's move on to the last part of our uh, uh, show, where we give this uh, uh, this episode a rating. Scott, Mr. Castrato himself, uh, (laughs) go ahead and and give this thing a rating. Well, Zach, I actually really enjoyed the movie. Um, I, I did. I, I really enjoyed. I enjoyed this show. There's a couple issues. I am. I am with you that we're seeing a whole lot of, of Mary Magdalene, and and it just even with Liberty, it seems like it's too much, uh, for her to be in there. Um, but again, I, I love some of the acting. I love the picture we're getting of Jesus. Um, the the character Matthew, I have absolutely loved to see him develop. In this episode particularly, I loved how he struggled with what he saw and what he believed. Uh, because what he saw is what uh, what changed him and what turned him into wanting to follow after Jesus. Um, I want to give uh, the episode an eight today. Really liked it. Luke? Well, as you know, I'm on the Mary fan club, and I'm about to go out and purchase myself a NJ, uh, NJV. So, uh, no, I, I thought the episode was pretty good. I agree. Mary's interjected. You know, all of Jenkins' assumptions, uh, like his filler information, is, like, pretty contextual. I'm going to give this episode an 8 because, personally, Mary is my favorite character. And um, I'm all on board with Jenkins's 
increase in her popularity. And I think that she should be written into the Bibles more. <laughs> when they when they give that Bible a second pass, you think they should put some more Mary in there? <laughs> All right. In seriousness, I'll give it. Uh, uh, I I I'm I'm good with an eight. You know, it's not nine quality because there are some scenes that are like you know I'm not in love with. Uh, some of the acting's bad. Quintus is, you know, Quintus is second only to Mary in my acting opinion. But um, I like the scene on the roof with Nicodemus. Thought that was one of the best scenes in the entire series. Like Jesus, like Nicodemus. Uh, the apostles are good, even though they didn't have a huge role in this episode. And uh, I like math. I like the interaction with Matthew. His character's developing. Gaius is really good and how they play off each other. And uh, hope to see that further in the future. And I'm going to give it an eight. Thought it was good. All right. As you know, I start every episode with a 10. And then slowly take things off. Taking a point off right away for a quintessentially bad actor. Matter of fact, from now on, any time that I see him, it's no longer a 10. You show me his big bald head, it's an immediate 9. Right out the gate. I'm going to take another point off because I'm tired of the Mary show. Because it's not biblical. Uh, and so we're sitting at an 8. Uh, I don't want to give it an 8. I don't think it's 8 worthy. I'll give it a 7 and then put on a point five because I actually bested Luke in a mock debate. So that makes me feel happy. Um, and because I won the game. So uh, uh, 7.5 for this episode is okay. Uh, the hair stroking thing was still weird, and I don't care what Luke says. I know that he's just taking a stance because, well... I agreed with him, and he can't have that. So, uh, uh... <laughs> Scott agreed with me. You agreed, agreed with, with Scott. Scott. It wasn't that I was disagreeing with you. It was that I was agreeing with Scott. I, okay. Whatever makes you help, helps you sleep at night. And if this show keeps you up at night, there's something seriously wrong with your mental capacity. Uh, <laughs> so, no, I, you know what? I'm taking it down. I'm going to give it a seven. Seven is the rating wow. for me. Oh, man, I just did all this math. <laughs> I ain't doing this podcast to do math. Take your shoes off, count your toes. Well, there you have it. The seventh episode of The Chosen has been given a Rotten Righteous certified 7.7. So, go out and watch it. Tell your friends about the podcast. If you're listening to it on iTunes, give us five stars. Like it on Facebook so you can follow it and keep up with all of the news that is pertained to Rotten Righteous. That's all we have for you. So for Scott, Luke, I'm Zach Geiler. This has been Rotten or Righteous, and you've been an audience. Talk to you next week. How do you know Mary wasn't in the inner circle, that she's just not mentioned because she's a woman? Prove it. <laughs> Ha <laughs>
I rest my case, Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs>